0: Shavua
1: tov everybody Hey le Yahoo Hanavi Hey le Yahoo Hatshbi Hey le Yahoo Hey le Yahoo Hagiladi bimeira yavaleinu Imashi hi David Hey le Hanavi ELIYAHU HA TISHBI ELIYAHU, ELIYAHU ELIYAHU HA GILODI BIM HEYRA YAVEY ALEINU IM MASHIHI AR BEN DOVID ELIYAHU HA NOVI ELIYAHU ha tishbi, Aileyo, Yahoo, aileyo, Yahoo, aileyo, ho, a Bim beam, hey, yo, yo, no, imashi, Shavuatov,
0: everybody, a I'm teaching every one of you. Hashem should help us. That the incredible energy of Shavuot to should continue to spill forward into the coming days, weeks, and months. And that they should come to us, Lateva Velivracha. We should have a Gizunta Zumer. We should have a healthy summer. That was the way the Rebbe used to bless us towards the end of Keshev He would wish everybody a Gizunta Zumer. We should have a healthy, a very healthy summer. It has a different ring to it, a different mean to it these days. And we should be able to share only B'Shudus teves amen L'chaim, L'chaim levracha. So I want to begin by sharing with you um, a, little, a little bit of Torah tonight. It's a, it's, it's, it's a very old idea that I'm going to talk about. It's something which is widely discussed. In fact, the earliest documentation of the question is found in the writings of the Ibn Ezra. And it's talked about in Hasidus in multiple places. And chances are that I've, I've, I've maybe shared some of this with you one time or another. But, but this year, this particular nuance hit me in a, in a unique way, so I want to share that with you. The last time that the Rebbe said a mimer in what we call the signan, in the syntax of a mimer. The Rebbe actually, you know, his, his tone would change, his, his, the, 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 the tenor of his voice would change, was on the eve of Erev Chagashvuis in the year 1989. The Rebbe was standing at his lectern, it's very unusual. Only one other mimer, to the best of my knowledge, ever recited by the Rebbe in a standing position. And the Rebbe began by quoting the opening verse of Aseret HaDibrot, the opening verse of the Ten Commandments, as they're proverbially called. Anoichi Hashem I am the Lord your God, Asher Mitzrayim, who took you out of Egypt. So this verse is, as I said, it's the opening verse. If you will, it's God introducing Himself to the Jewish people we, the Jewish people, already stated to Hashem that we are prepared to submit ourselves to His will. And we said, Naisa, before we said Nishma, we're prepared to listen to what Hashem wants from us, to do what He wants from us, to be obedient. But then, of course, to try and understand. And as a result, we had halos or crowns that were brought to us by the Malachim. And now God is introducing Himself with this mass revelation. God is speaking to the Jewish people and He says, Anoichi, I am Hashem kecha." And when He introduces Himself, He does not say, I am the God who created heaven and earth. He said, I'm the God who took you out of Egypt. This is a famous question. If God is going to introduce Himself, us, to Him, as, you know, God... And we have to serve him. So he should speak to us about Bria's Shamaim Vahoretz, about the creation of heaven and earth, which is a far, far greater feat, if you will, or something that's far more remarkable. It's a very old question. The Ibn Ezra, in fact, says he heard this in the name of Rabbi Yosef Halevi, who I'm assuming is Rimigash. Gash. And in this particular Mimer, the Rebbe went on to actually develop the question and explain why it wasn't simply a more impressive way to introduce himself, but the Rebbe draws a number of corollaries between the creation of heaven and earth and the notion of giving the Jewish people the Torah, including the idea that miracles, even the greatest of miracles, are but the modification of materiality, which we call meyesh liyesh, a shinu meyesh liyesh. There's nuclear physics in play. So God makes a miracle and He modifies the nuclear physics. But creation is called ex nihilo, yesh me ayin, something that comes out of nothing. And the ever draws a connection between that and the concept of Torah. And He really develops the question very, very significantly. And He says that the question is so real and the point is so precise that the Torah actually does begin that way. And we know this is a famous question. Why does the Torah begin with the story of Genesis? The Rebbe said, that's why the Torah begins. The opening verses of the Torah are about the Genesis of the world, the creation of the world. And the Rebbe says, we can see this also Because Rambam, Maimonides, when he introduces us to the entirety of the oral Torah, as he redacted it into halachic form and halachic prose, the Rambam talks about Anoichi Hashem Alikecha. And he says, what does that mean? It means creation. God wants you to know. I am the Lord your God. And and he says, you have to know that uh, we we believe in God and the Rambam details what you could call the notion of intelligent faith. He says that God is the only true existence and all existence comes from God. And if, and if G- God w- isn't, then nothing else can be. And he talks about b'rias <laughs> Shemaim And the Rebbe goes on to develop the question in a very, very strong way. And he says that the truth is that questions of Torah are not just deflected when the answer comes along. But if, the, if there's a question, a Torah question, that the question continues to resonate with meaning even if there is an answer or a reason for the fact that God did not say But the fact that Torah asks this question means that this is a, a truism. It is true that on some level that is the way a hadibrot should have been conveyed to us. So, so why didn't why didn't it happen that way? Why did God say, I am the Lord your God who has taken you out of Egypt? The Rebbe says something remarkable. He says, because the ultimate mission and purpose of creation is for us, for you and for me. And for us, for us, Bishvil Yisrael, we must know that we will be in situations of we will be confined by circumstances that squeeze or press us. We will sometimes find ourselves in narrow straits. We will sometimes find ourselves in some way unable to fully express the Neshama easily. And that we have to know that this idea of going out of Mitzrayim is really the story of life itself the fact that the Jewish people's narrative is to go into Mitzrayim and to become slaves and then that we are born as a nation when we're taken out of mitzrayim the very fact that Hashem ordained the birth, gestation and development of our people in that fashion we just lost everybody The whole Zoom just died. <laughs> Facebook? Okay. The very fact that Hashem ordained who we are, our journey as a nation, with the notion of the concept of slavery and the subsequent exodus, so so this really in a, in a sense captures the essence of who we are and the essence of how we, the Jewish people, have been tasked with a message and a mission and a purpose of transcending that slavery and being able to go past those narrow straits. In other words, that we were in a of Avodim, that we were in a proverbial house of slavery. We were essentially shackled to the will of others and that we were given the ability to transcend the subservience to other human beings and that instead of being subservient to other human beings we should become subservient only to HaKadosh Baruch in other words as I understand it what happened? how did we lose everybody? in other words from a perspective of Torah From the Torah perspective, it would have made more sense for it to say, Anoichi Hashem alikecha, if you speak about the Torah itself, it would have been a greater or more natural reflection of the truth if God were to say, I am the one who, who created heaven and earth. But from the vantage point of you and I, from the vantage point of us as Hashem's special children, from the perspective of we who are given and tasked with a great mission, Aseret HaDibrot had to begin, not with the overarching truism of creation or Genesis, but with the truism of what's meaningful for us. In other words, Torah is tailored for us. It's not only a question of what's more meaningful or what's more, which, which prose is more poetic or more appropriate from a Torah perspective. The question is, what makes us tick and what makes us more effective? And the message that was being conveyed to us is Anoichi Hashem, Hashem says, I am your God. Hashem spoke to each and every single member of Am Yisrael and we felt as if he was speaking to us and he was. And it was mass revelation but received in the most personal of ways. And all of us were there. And everyone, every member of Am Yisrael participated in the events at Sinai because ultimately, because ultimately, Harsinai, Matan Torah, is an empowering moment that changes us, our national and historic destiny forever. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us what we needed to be able to succeed in our mission, to be able to overcome our challenges. So Hashem doesn't say, I'm the God who created heaven and earth. Hashem says, I'm the God who took you out of Egypt so that you and I know that we must never be subservient to any other force or power, and that Hashem has raised us and transcended all of us beyond the limitations that are imposed externally, and that we have the ability to set our Hashem as free. This is the gist or a kernel of that mimer, very fascinating mimer. But it it rang somewhat. It rang somewhat more personally this year because we, we find ourselves in a, a time of tremendous Mitzar Mugvulim. We find ourselves inundated and really overwhelmed with tremendous limitation this year. We weren't able to gather to listen to Some of you know I tried so hard. The government, the Premier's office actually gave us permission and it was like literally rescinded. You can get your nails done. You can go shopping for a new vacuum cleaner. You can do all kinds of other Narishkite. You can play golf. But don't we dare catch you reading from Hashem's Torah. It actually does not make any sense. Essentially, the message being conveyed to us is that from the government's perspective, terror is meaningless. Religion is meaningless. God is meaningless. These are meaningless things. When, when, when we can be in a better state, you can resume your meaningless activities. But in the meantime, we'll do the important things. And I'm not suggesting, or I never suggested, we should do it in a way which would compromise people's health. You know, my idea that I floated to the cabinet almost two weeks before Shavuos was having us in separate parking spaces, two empty parking spaces, not one, two empty parking spaces. It's over ten feet in between an individual or individuals from a single household. And there really was no reason that this could not have been done outdoors. But in the end, we are not avadim. We are not enslaved by any government. We are not enslaved by any foreign power. In the end, this is what Hashem wanted. For reasons that are beyond us, Hashem did not give us the privilege this year of being able to gather as a community to hear our seret Dibrot. Hashem didn't give us the privilege this year of being able to come together and celebrate the holiday of Shavuos as we would have wanted to. So we had this limitation. We had this challenge. We had these mitzvah But my dear friends, we dare not, chas v'shalom, allow our spirits to fall. We dare not allow ourselves to become disillusioned or even disappointed. We have a job and that is to serve Hashem with joy. And Hashem tells us when He took us out of Mitzrayim that this is the story of our lives, that there will always be Mitzrayim's, there will always be limitations, and there will always be taskmasters, and there will always be difficulties and challenges that surround us, sometimes in a more pressing way, sometimes in a far less comfortable way. We've lived in a very comfortable gullus for a very long time, and now we're living in a very uncomfortable gullus situation. But they can't bring us down. Because we, the Jewish people, were given the Koyach, Anoichi HaShem Alekecha, Asher Hoitzei Sicha Mitzrayim. Rabbi Sajig Gohan says, that the words do not only refer to going out of Mitzrayim, but ultimately it refers also to the coming of Mashiach. And the Rebbe frames it a little differently. The Rebbe says that we know when Mashiach will come, that it says, Just as when we left Egypt, it was amidst magnificent wonders and extraordinary miracles, when Mashiach will come, It'll be miraculous and magnificent even in comparison with going out of Mitzrayim as the Prophet Micha says. And the point then is that we draw a corollary between going out of Mitzrayim and between the coming of Mashiach. And the deeper message for all of us is that all of these challenges and difficulties, everything we need to transcend is all part of that process. A process that began when we were, so to speak, taken out of Mitzrayim a process that reached its fruition and its climax. When we received Hashem's Torah, as we know that Moshe Rabbeinu was told very clearly, that taking the nation out of Egypt is not simply about freedom, but rather "Tavdun that we will serve God in this mountain. And in the end, Shavuot is merely the maturation, the fruition, the climax of the exodus of leaving Mitzrayim and that's why shavuot is not celebrated on the anniversary of matan torah but rather 7 weeks after the notion of pesach and the exodus and that and that my dear friends we must know that Mitzrayim, miitzrayim yitziam meitzorim that going out of limitations and not allowing our lives to become influenced or chashav shalom in any way harmed not allowing our spirituality to become compromised. This is the essence of the mission that Hashem gave us. And through difficult times and challenging times and uncomfortable times and disruptive times, we have to keep our eye on the mission, the goal. The goal is to be able to modify materiality and transform the world. The goal is not to allow our spirits to fall. The goal is to remain buoyant and upbeat and optimistic and to serve Hashem with joy, ivdu as Hashem Simcha, each and every single day of our lives, and we hope very much that this is coming to its end, because you know, my friends, when Mashiach comes in Meretz Hashem, then the possibility of Mitsori muvul and the possibility of these kind of limitations is gone forever. It's gone forever. So L'chaim L'chaim, Hashem should help us that as we will show Him that despite the fact that we're not exactly overjoyed with our circumstances, we are overjoyed with the privilege of being members of Am Yisrael, of being His special children, of being able to serve Hashem and that we're not going to let us get it down. We're not going to let us, we're not going to allow ourselves to become disillusioned and we're going to keep ourselves strong and we're going to serve Hashem to that. You know that uh, Shavuos, Chag HaShavuos, is very much connected to David who was outside of as well as the Balshemtiv. So I want to share with you two little stories tonight. And one is a story. One is a story about David HaMelech's Tehillim, about the power of David HaMelech's Tehillim. Because, because, that was David gift. David gift to us was Tilam. So the story, as I read it in a uh, book of Shmuel's Vesipurim talks about a holy man, I presume a Talmud of the Magad of Mizrich, whose name was Rabbi Moshe of Savaron. He was a holy man, a tzaddik, and this Moshe. He had a machutin. He had a... One of his children was married to somebody from Barditchev. Barditchev is of course in the Ukraine. And the name of this mechutin was Yankiv Yosef Chodorov. The reason I share the names of these stories is not because it's so important to know the names of these people from three centuries ago, but because it makes a story real when it has a name to it. And this Sebi Yosef, Yibyanki Yosef, was a very wealthy individual, very, very learned man, very pious man, and very generous, a big Baal So the story, this particular story, is about this holy man, this tzaddik, Reb Moshe of Savaron, who comes to Barditchev, for whatever, some reason. And he he takes up his temporary lodging at his Mukutin's home, at the Subyan Kivesuf's home. Now at that time, and I'm gonna guess that this story took place near the end of the 18th century. Probably in the last decade or two of the 18th century. 1780, 1790, somewhere around there. So there was a group of what you call You Know what a Vasartreger is? Vasar literally is a water carrier. Think fiddler on the roof. You know, Berdichev is not a little town. It's not a little hamlet. I I was in Berdichev. It's a fair-sized town. It's got city buses and everything. It's it's easily 50,000 people living, maybe 100,000 people living in Berdichev today. So I don't know if the towns were that big at the time, but, you know, running water they didn't have. And water is needed. So there was a whole team of people who did this for a living. They would go down to a well, go down to a river, and they would draw water. And then, you know, in that proverbial picture with the person who has the, the uh, yoke and two buckets on either side, and they would schlep the water. That's how they made a living. Not exactly a fun way to make a living, but they probably were in good shape. And most of the people who were tregers were very simple people. They were not particularly learned or educated. Most of them lacked sophistication. So there's this group of treggers. And this group of treggers, they decide to create what you would call today a union. The union of treggers. But the union of treggers was not going to raise their prices or so see how they could gouge the public because people needed water. This union of Yiddish treggers made the decision that they would, since they're in a, a, common, of a common pursuit, you know, they, they do a similar things, so they made this little union amongst themselves and they decided that they would come together as a group, the union of tregers of Bardichev, every Shabbos morning, early Shabbos morning, at daybreak, before everybody else would come to Shul, to Davin, and they would recite the entire book of Tehillim, Davin HaMellach's book of Tehillim, together with a minion. Now this group, this union of water carrier union, these Tehillim Jews, they heard that this famous holy man from Savaron was visiting in Bardichev, and that he had taken up temporary residence in his Mekhutn's home, Rebbe Yankiv Vesef home. So they, they chose a young man who was somewhat learned, what you would call today a Ben Torah. And they said to him, we would like you to please represent us at the holy man, to go see the holy man, go see the tzaddik. Because they were very simple people, very unlettered. but They had a munat tzaddikim. They believed in the power of tzaddikim. He said, we would like to send a pigeon a letter, a prayer note, asking him to pray on our behalf. And they sent along, as was customary, money for the tzaddik to do as he pleased, to dispense of as he pleased. So they sent money in the pigeon efesh, 25 ruble. I don't know what 25 ruble was in the late 18th century, but my guess it was at least several hundred, or if not the equivalent of several thousand dollars today. And they asked, they made a request of Reb Moshe. They wanted him to read over the little constitution they had put together. And if he would find it to be appropriate, then he should sign on to it. Like, you know, say, edit it. This is good. And to bless them. This young man knew the group. He was kind of their de facto rabbi. They didn't really have a rabbi. So he was like their leader. He was like their spiritual guide. They asked him to, you know, I guess he would fabrang with them and spend some time with them, teach him a little bit of Torah. So the young man comes to Rabbi of Yasef's home and he wants to see the tzaddik. I said, they usher him in to see the tzaddik. And he makes this request. He says, I have this group of treggers, group of uh, water carriers, and they, they're asking for a bracha, and they sent a, a prayer note, and they're asking if the Rebbe could please read over the little constitution that they put together and to sign on to it, that what they're doing is good. So there was a young man who was, happened to be in the house of Rebbe Ankev Yosef, Choderov, at the time. And he asked this, this other fellow, he says, what are you doing here? So he said, well, you know, there's this group of tregers, group of Vassar tregers, and I, I, uh, I try to help them a little. I'm a little bit of a spiritual guide for them. And now they sent me to ask our bracha on their behalf. So he says, you? You? Uh, a ben Torah? An educated person? You hang out with these, with these, with these ed- uneducated peasants? You? What are you doing with these peasants? Somebody who's able to study Torah should not be wasting his time saying, Tillam, said this uh, young scholar. So the first young man, the young man representing this group, protested, and he says, "Why would you uh, say that? You think just because somebody is educated in Torah, somebody is learned that he's not obligated to say Tehillim? Do you not know the famous maxim of our sages that David Melech prayed that one who would say Tehillim should it should be he should be remunerated by God like somebody who studies the most difficult tracts of Mishnah?" which are called negoyim and Aholis. Very arcane and difficult mishnayas. So the other Torah scholar says back to him, huh. it says k'mo, as if. It's not the same. What do you really think it's the same? A bunch of country bumpkins, peasants are saying, tell him. you think that's as valuable as when us Torah scholars learn Torah? That's number one. And he says, number two, David Malach prayed, it says. He prayed that they should be accepted. Who says that Davra HaMelech's prayer was accepted? And he says, you know, there's a Gemara, I'll prove to you that not all of King David's requests were accepted. The Gemara tells us that there were seven people whom after their passing that their corporeal remains did not rot. The bodies remained whole. And the Gemara goes on and talks about Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov and another four. And he says... The Davra Melech, the Gemara says, but did not David Melech pray that Bisari, Yishka, and Lavetach that my flesh should be secure permanently? And the Gemara says, well, in that case, David Melech should have been included. So the Gemara says, it doesn't say, it says, David Melech asked and asked. And so the scholar says back, you see, David and Melech made a request <laughs> and the request accomplished absolutely nothing. And the same is true about saying Tilm. You're wasting your time at saying Tillam. David and Melech asked that the recitation of Tilim be valuable in God's eyes as if the study of Torah, but the study of Torah is far greater. The tzaddik, Remesha, overheard this entire conversation. And he told his mechut nebyank of in great angst, did you hear? He said. Did you hear? He said. David Amelech made a prayed. David Amelech asked, and he accomplished nothing. And he repeated this a number of times. He said, "Oy ve'izmir." Oy he said, "David Melech Yisrael asked and wasn't answered." Oy ve'izmir. And he repeated this in great angst. And he said, "This is like a knife in my stomach. I feel literally being like I'm being my stomach cut apart." To hear a person say these words, is, uh, the, is he so blinded by his arrogance, he doesn't even know the correct shot in the Gemara? And Rav Moshe went on to explain that the Gemara says, the Gemara doesn't say David HaMelech wasn't, wasn't responded to. The Gemara asks, why does David HaMelech not get listed amongst those whose bodies didn't de- decompose? And the Gemara answered that they, the other seven, didn't have to ask for it. But David HaMelech had to ask for it. And so if David HaMelech made a prayer, the prayer is surely meaningful and effective. And the point that I want to share with you about this little story is that you know we, Chassidim, we say tilim every single day. We say the daily tilim as it's divided into days of the month. Tomorrow is the eighth day of Sivan. And we should say the tilim that's divided for the eighth day. And the Rebbe would oftentimes mention that Shavuos, which is connected to David HaMelech, is a very, very opportune time to commit or recommit to the proper recitation of Tillam. None of us, my friends, are exempt from the recitation of Tillam. Reciting Tilum on a daily basis is a very, very important thing, especially not only the Tillam of the day, but we also, we recite a chapter of Tillam that corresponds to the years of the Rebbe's Neshama being brought down to earth, which this year is a very long chapter, chapter 119. We recite the chapter of Tilum that corresponds to our pre- year, to the year of our spouse, and the many recite it for all of their children, or even your children-in-law. And the point is that reading Tehillim is a very, very, very important thing. As it says in HaYoyim Yoyim, that if we would know the power of Tehillim, we would occupy our whole day with the saying of Tehillim. So I want to encourage all of you to make an effort to say Tehillim. And of course, the idea of, of uh, Shavuos is Torah, Matan Torah. And then now is a time to strengthen ourselves in the study of Torah, especially Torah at Moshe, the Chumash, to study the daily portion of Chumash each and every single day, to make a point on Sunday to start from the beginning of Parshas Nosai. You have a question, Mark? You have a question? No, I haven't. Huh? You were like waving a hand. Okay. So now is an opportune time for us to strengthen ourselves and rededicate ourselves to the study of Chumash, daily Chumash. And from Moshe to Moshe, there arose none like Moshe, which refers to Rabbeinu Moshe ben Maimon Asfardi, the Rambam. The Rambam is the one who took the entirety of the oral Torah and put it into one single document. And now is certainly a time for us all to recommit ourselves to the study of daily Rambam as the Rabbi wanted study of, of Mishnah Torah for one who is able, but if not, at least the study of Sefer mitzvah, at least the book of mitzvahs. And today you don't have to do much more than just click or even touch your iPhone, your laptop, and you can learn the daily mitzvah. There's multiple videos and recordings. And this is something that's very much within the reach of each and every one of us. And unfortunately, one thing that most of us seem to be having these days is lots of extra time. <laughs> so we should, use, we should use the extra time well. And the Baal Shem is Histalkos. Baal is Histalkos is on Shavuos. And the Torah of the Baal Shem This is the Torah of Chsidis, of Torah, Torah, of Chabad. And uh, we have to be committed to learning our daily Tanya. In fact, in today's Tanya, the Baal Shem name is mentioned. In today's Tanya, Upirisha Baal Shemtev. And we talk about the pasuk from Psalm 119, Hashem that Hashem, your words remain in the heavens. The Baal Shem Tov explained this means that God is constantly recreating the entire universe. God didn't create the world to go on vacation. Each and every moment, our world is like a virtual reality of sorts. Imagine you have a, a whole, a, 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 a magnificent wall-to-wall, beautiful screen. It's virtual reality. You turn the switch off, it's all gone. The whole world is being brought into existence by the Rebbein Shalom each and every moment. And in fact, the Rebbe says in a Mimer that on, on Shavuos is a time to recommit to promulgating this particular teaching. To tell people about this. That people should understand that God is in control. Not that there is a world, but God is outside the world and He's stronger than the world. All of existence is being created by Hashem Yisbarach. And if we don't get to hear the Torah, it's because that's what Hashem decided. And if the, all of us are reeling from a pandemic, this is what Hashem wanted at this very moment. And Hashgach Pratis goes down to each and every single one of us specifically. That's what Hashem wants from us at this moment. And our mission is to do the best we can with the circumstances that are made available to us. We do not get to choose the circumstances. We get to choose how we respond. We get to choose what we do with those circumstances. And promulgating this and telling people about the helping people with their emunah with their faith and giving them a sense of commitment or recommitment, it enables each and every one of us to live in a transcendent way. You know, to the daily Tanya today, we just started learning Shari Ichad Vemunah, which is the Al Rebbe's treaties on intelligent faith. You have to know it can't just believe it bl- in a blind way. You have to understand the theology. You have, to, you have to be able to wrap your mind around and comprehend the notion of divinity and God's relationship with this world and the meaning of God's oneness. So even if you miss today's ch- uh, chitas, you can hop on to Chabad.org or multiple places. You can listen to the Chumash, for, the Tanya for today. You can learn today's Tanya. And we started from the very beginning. Starting from the beginning of Shaykh. It's a perfect time for us all to get on the train, so to speak, and together, to move forward with the of shayichet ve'emunah, our daily tanya. We strengthen ourselves in our learning of chitas. We strengthen ourselves in the study of daily rambam. Surely, that will help us earn Hashem's bracha, and we'll have atzlocha, in ways beyond what we could uh, imagine for ourselves. I want to end with a little story. A story about the Vashem Tev. It's not a miracle story about the Vashem Tev. And the reason that I want to tell the story is Because I have heard people casting aspersion on the Jewish people. Yidden, casting aspersion. The reason that this is happening, said one rabbi, the reason we have this pandemic is because people talk in shul. Now, don't get me wrong. You shouldn't talk in shul. And the fact that we're driven from our shuls is something of deep pain. And we should be more respectful in shul. And when Hashem allows us back into his house, We should definitely be more respectful and definitely be more uh, silent. That's fine. But let nobody say that the reason that people are suffering is because it's you did this or we did that. To be mekatrig an yidin, to cast aspersion on yidin is a terrible, terrible thing to do. And I'm going to share with you a story of a malach, of an angel who was mekatrig an yidin and suffered for it. None of us should ever speak badly about others. Do not speak badly about others do not point fingers at others. You can point the finger at yourself, but that's it. And don't chas v'shalom make suggestions, ridiculous suggestions. Like we know the will of God, and we know why bad things are happening. Chas v'shalom. There's a, a famous sh- a, a book of halachic responsa, Shail Shtuvos, is called the Shail Shtuvos Chacham Tzvi, the father of Yankim Emden. And there, he brings a story. There's a there's a there's, in his uh, opening there's there's, a, there's kind of like a hakdama a preface to the book of Halach responsa, and he tells the story of his life. And in midst the story, he shares a story about the balshemtiv. He said the Tov asked Hashem made a request from heaven that he wants to be Mikayim, he wants to fulfill the mitzvah of shimush talmid chachamim of helping a talmud chacham it's a great mitzvah. To help to provide service to a Talmud Chachem. And so the Baal Shem Tev asked which Talmud Chachem, who in his generation is considered an outstanding Talmud Chachem, that he should go, the Baal Shem Tev, should go to be Meshamisha Talmud Chachem. So from heaven he was told that there are three incredible sages, great Torah scholars. There's a Goran Rebefraim Ashkenazi, there's the author of the Pnei Yeshua, Shua Falk. and then there is the author. Rabbi Ephraim Zalman Shor, who authored the, sorry, maybe it was Alexander Sender Shore, who authored something called the Tvua's Shor, and Tvua's So the Baal set out for the Lithuanian town of Brod, where this Rabbi Ephraim lived. Now this Rabbi Ephraim was a very old man, and he wasn't well. And I'm not sure what the condition is called, but he was always cold. He's always shivering, always cold. And they would take him like to a sauna and warm him up, and he would give him hot soup and hot tea and wrap him up in blankets to try to give him a little comfort. So the Bashemtiv came to his home, and the Bashemtiv saw this very, very elderly, fragile Torah scholar shivering under blankets and pillows, very uncomfortable. And it was a, it was a summer afternoon. The Balshemtav himself went and he, he took wood and he built a raging fire in in the, in the stove, he let a stove in the house, you know, like in the, this is like 17th century. He builds this raging fire and, to, to, and the house gets very hot. It's a July, it's a July uh, hot summer day and now the house is boiling hot. So much so that Rebbe Frayim was able to roll back the blankets and he even took off the sweater that he was perpetually wearing. In the meantime, Rebbe Frayim's wife came home and she was an elderly woman, and probably not particularly overjoyed with the circumstances situation, and she sees a raging fire, in July. The house is like a sauna, and she started to scream at her husband, "Who is this nut? This lunatic? Who came to our house? Why is it so hot over here? You could die from heat." The bashemta felt terrible. Bashemta felt like here he was trying to bring a little bit of respite to this aged scholar, this aged Torah scholar, and instead he caused him discomfort. Because now his wife came home and she was upset and he, and he would have to deal with the fallout of, a, of having an angry spouse. Rebbe Frayim noticed that the Baal was very distressed, that he had caused Rebbe Frayim distress, anguish, instead of alleviating his situation. So he said to the Baal Tev, it's okay, he says, sometimes... Sometimes he says, there's a little anger in the house. It could all be a good thing sometimes. He says, don't worry, it could be a good thing. Something good can come of it. And he begins to tell the Baal Shem Tovah story. He says, I once had this nocturnal vision. And in this vision, I'm in the heavens. And I see the way they're bringing a hapless fellow before the heavenly tribunal, the heavenly court. And they began to ask this man about his many sins. And he says, you did this wrong. You did that wrong. And a whole list of things you could have done right and didn't do. He had so many opportunities for mitzvahs. He didn't do the mitzvahs. So the man said, it's not my fault. I was in a bad marriage. My house was toxic. We were always fighting with each other. And that drained me. It drained me. A bad marriage would be a very draining thing. It drain me. And I didn't have the koyach. I couldn't function. And this, the man is is trying to explain. He says, yeah, I, I fell short. But you know what? The circumstances were overwhelming. A malach was standing there. And the malach was a spectator. He began to scream at the man. What a chutzpah you have, he said. You do bad things and you blame it on your wife? You blame it on a bad marriage? You're responsible for yourself. How dare you try to make excuses for your lousy behavior because you had a bad marriage? And the Malach is ripping into this poor fellow. And the says, when I heard the words of the Malach, I became very, very angry. So the Malach doesn't even know what marriage is. Like know with the Gemara, with Moshe Rabbeinu, comes up to heaven. And he says, Klum ye yesh you even know about the real world? Here's a Malach who's ripping into this fellow. He's living in the real world. He doesn't even know what this, what this world is like. And so the Ephraim said, he began to yell at this Malach. How dare you open a mouth? How dare you cast aspersion on somebody? Do you know what he went through? Do you know what the pain of a bad marriage is? Who are you to to, 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 to judge somebody else? And so he said, in the end, I was victorious. I saved this person from much harsher judgment. And in heaven they decided that this fellow, this angel, would have to come into a terrestrial neshama. He would have to come into this world. And he would have a bad marriage. And he would suffer from that kind of circumstance situation. And we'd see how well he did. The Befrayim said, you should know that this young man ended up living in my very city here in Brod. And he got married. And it was a terrible marriage. It was a terrible marriage. It was toxic. They could not get along for even a moment. In the end, he got physically sick. He had a breakdown, he got physically sick from this terrible marriage he was in. And they came to me to get divorced. And I said to the young man getting divorced, I said, Aha, now you won't cast aspersion on others again. Now you will not point an accusatory finger at others when you see them not doing what they're supposed to do. And the Ephraim told the Baal Shem Tev, this guy didn't last much longer. He said within two years his body and soul separated and he went back to being a Malach. But he said, but a person should never be mekatrig, never cast aspersion on Yidin. And so, my friends, let us never, ever, ever cast aspersion on Yidin. Let us never be mekatrig on Yidin. Why we're dealing with this terrible situation, I don't know. If somebody wants to make a crusade about not speaking in shul, it's a very good idea. If somebody wants to say we have to do mitzvahs better, fine, do mitzvahs. But please, let us not link the suffering of others and the disruption of, of life as if we know the will of Hashem or we know the way of Hashem. The ways of Hashem remain for us a mystery. We should never ever point fingers at others. We should never ever judge others. We should always give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Benefit of doubt means if you look at somebody and you can have to interpret the, the circumstances. It's always everything's in the interpretive. You could say that uh, 99% that this is bad, but there's a 1% chance that it's good. The Mishnah says, Give everybody the benefit of the doubt, unless you know otherwise. So not judging others, giving everybody the benefit of the doubt, and knowing that if, if, if there's ever any finger-pointing that's ever appropriate, it's finger-pointing at ourselves. And we should demand more of ourselves. We should try harder to serve Hashem, and we should appreciate the efforts that are made by others. We should respond to others in the best way we can. And hopefully, as we get out of these narrow straits that challenge and vex us personally, communally, and in the whole world today, we should be Zekh meretz Hashem. We should merit to see the end of Mitzrayim, the end of Mitzorim, the end of limitations, and the ushering in of a beautiful new world which will be filled with merchav ha with a true sense of openness and freedom and spaciousness as we continue to grow in our relationship with Hashem. As it says, every yid really deep down is a tzaddik. And every one of us will go from strength to strength. And hopefully we will hear good news, we will share good news, and soon share, be sharing the best news of all, that higiyah go laschem be'biyas mashiach tzedkeinu, Meriting Torah Chadasha Miiti Teize Bemheder will be Amenu Amen Lachaim Lachaim.